What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 28th, 2022. It is episode 141 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 140 prior. And as always... Please rate, review, subscribe. Make sure the bell icon's lit up over on YouTube so you get notified when new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be. All the interactions and all the feedback that we can get, not just for this show, but all the other ones, part of the In The Money Media network, better off for us. And in turn, better off, hopefully, for the listeners and the viewers. Because we can then spin that off to advertisers and we can get feedback about what kind of content all of you want to listen to, especially this time of year where things are a little bit quieter. I feel like this is the time where most people take a little bit of a breath. I know Gulfstream is getting ramped up, getting ready to go. Santa Anita is not going to be far away, opening day, day after Christmas. But this period, I think we all get to take a little bit of a breath, or at least I thought anyway. This week's show, we're going to wrap up with looking at NFL Week 13. And the only other thing that this show will be this week is... Sort of just thinking of the way words can be interpreted or the emphasis behind certain phrasing. If I said to you, or we were talking about someone in a sporting event, that luck was on his or her side, that feels more like a a statement that doesn't come off as... I don't want to say an excuse, but it doesn't come off as sort of an accusation or um, accusation is not the right word. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say it's not a negative connotation. If you have luck on your side, yeah, a certain thing broke your way, but you know, you went and you succeeded in whatever it is you're doing. If it's a race, if it's a game, if it's betting, whatever. But if you just change a few words, going from luck was on his or her side to he or she got lucky, then, at least in my eyes, and let me know if the the listeners and the viewers, if, if you all disagree with this notion or thought beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, if someone says that this person or this individual got lucky, to me it comes off as you're saying, yeah, sure, you won, but did you really? And it it becomes a bit of a negative connotation. It almost implies that the only reason somebody found or had success is because luck happened to be on their side, but it comes off in a very different way using different words. And the only reason I bring all this up is because of Rich Strike. Now, Rich Strike... Finishes last in a field of six, I believe it was, in the Clark on Black Friday at Churchill Downs. He emerges from the race with a throat infection, which I'm sure many people will completely disregard. But as trainer Eric Reed said, you know, not looking to make excuses. It just is what it is. He came out of it and he he was sick. But I couldn't help but notice, I've tried to stay off social for for a bit here, but I still go on and, and see the 
the happenings. And the sort of the same discussion that that we all had or or people had post Kentucky Derby came up again. And not just from one or two people. I've I saw it in many, many different aspects. About Rich Strike and how he was never that good to begin with. He's extremely good. His resume makes him champion three-year-old. His resume makes him a borderline finalist, but probably not even a finalist. I mean, it ran the gambit. And I, you know, you sit back and you watch and you, you just kind of see how things unfold and what people say and what people's feelings and thoughts are. And it made me think, well, let's take a look at this horse a little bit more. Rich Strike has an overall record of 13 starts, two victories, a second, and three third-place finishes. His only victories in his entire career came in a $30,000 maiden claiming event at Churchill Downs and the Grade 1 Kentucky Derby. Happened to also be at Churchill Downs. At face value, 2 for 13 doesn't sound great for a Grade 1 caliber runner. Makes you think he is a notch or two below. But then when you consider he's a three-year-old, you consider that he won the most prestigious race, some would say, in the country. Some might even argue the world. I think both of those are, are a little bit crazy, but that's just my opinion. I don't think a, a three-year-old restricted race should be the marquee event for any, but neither here nor there. But then talk of champion three-year-old. And winning the Kentucky Derby alone solidifies him as a, a finalist, a candidate to win this year-end award. And I look at it, and I don't think it's that simple. I don't think one race should matter as much as it does. But then many people will argue that the Breeders' Cup itself should not matter that much because it's one race. And why should that have such heavy impact or implications in terms of year-end awards? My argument there would be, in most cases, you're taking on the best of the best. In the Kentucky Derby, that, that's not the case. You're only taking on the three-year-olds at that time of year who have qualified for the race. So just because he won that, I don't know that I necessarily believe that makes him a slam dunk finalist, never mind winner. But compare his resumes to Epicenter, Taba. You start to see the different conversations, the discussions about how Rich Strike isn't very good and he just got lucky one time. Or the discussions around how Rich Strike deserves to be the three-year-old champion because he won the most prestigious three-year-old race there is. Or then you have my opinion that is not nearly as sexy and not nearly as fun, I'm sure, for most people. That Rich Strike is a very good horse, very solid horse, and he had luck on his side. And it happened to be in the biggest race that he had, or we all have, for three-year-olds. I'm not sitting here saying he deserves to be three-year-old champion. In fact, I'm saying he shouldn't be, given his resume, especially when you compare it to Epicenter and Taba. Again, Rich Strike, purely from victory standpoint, he has won the Kentucky Derby and a maiden claiming event. Epicenter won the Grade 1 Travers, the Grade 2 Jim Dandy, the Grade 2 Louisiana Derby, the Grade 2 Risen Star. Taba won the Grade 1 Santa Anita Derby, the Grade 1 Pennsylvania Derby, and he finished third in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Hell, add Cyberknife to the mix. 
He won the Grade 1 Arkansas Derby, the Grade 1 Haskell, the Grade 3 Matt Wynn. He finished second in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. But while those resumes, in my eyes, all three of them are stronger than Rich Strikes, it also couldn't be farther from the argument that some have made that he's a complete bum and he can't run. And he just had all the stars align one day. He finished fourth in the Travers, fourth in the Breeders' Cup Classic, third in a grade three on synthetic, and he was beaten, what, a nose in a grade two against older horses. So to suggest that he's a complete bum, I think is so stupid. And I can't help but think that many of the folks that have this like vitriol against this horse got burned by him on Derby Day. And and whether they would admit it or not, there is this this element of he beat me, so I'm always some people I don't know why. Have you know, a horse has never done anything to you other than go out and, and run around in an oval. And he's never even done that to you. You've just been a spectator. You've watched him and bet on him. But some people hold things against players. I've got a World Cup game on right now. You know, if so-and-so does something and it, it ends up affecting you, if you're a fan or you've bet on it, you then all of a sudden they become public enemy number one in your eyes. And I can't help but think that's a little bit of what it is with this horse. Because the the truth of the matter is, I mean, he's... it It is the rags to riches kind of story that we all chomp at the bit for but then once it's here it, many people then start to want to say well it, it's not that neat or it's not that cool or it's not that fun or it's not this that or the other he's not that good you know x y and z people like to have their cake and eat it too which is it doesn't work like that you can also be objective about it and say luck was on his side that day. But he's also run really well in some of these other races. And no, he's yet to win. He's not, he hasn't won one of them. But that doesn't mean that he's incapable. Especially when you look at some of the speed figures that he's run and earned. He is a horse that is capable, given the right setup, that he could win a race. Probably the longer the better. Mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter. So I'm, I'm thinking of recent, you know, three-year-old champions. I've got the list up. I see Essential Quality, Authentic, Maximum Security, Justify, West Coast, Arrowgate, American Pharaoh, California Chrome. We'll take charge. I'll have another Animal Kingdom. Looking at Lucky, Summerbird, Big Brown, Curlin, Bernardini. I mean, you just keep going on and on. And they're all, most of them, I don't want to say all, most of them are proper elite grade one talents and this year you're probably going to get your three-year-old champion being a an above average talent i don't know that i'm going to sit here and say that any one of them is elite i mean they all have an opportunity to prove that but as three-year-olds purely as three-year-olds i don't know how many of them were necessarily elite in the in the bigger picture but then I started looking through these names and I'm going, well, all right. I mean, is, is Rich Strike, there really aren't any similarities from a, a, a past performance standpoint with any of the three-year-old champions. But then it just made me think like, well, who, who does he remind me of? Who, who does he line up with? A horse that is 
competitive in a lot of these races. He's fast. He's not overly fast. He has no early speed. He loses a lot more than he wins. But he's probably better than people give him stick for. And his claim to fame, many people say, you just got lucky. And say it in a negative light. As opposed to luck was on their side and they took advantage of it and won. And you start hearing all those and I'm saying them to myself in my head and I go, there is one horse. And I pull up his past performances. And you have to go back a few years. He he last ran in 2017. And I, you know what? I'll be honest. He was a horse I was never a big fan of. Early on a three-year-old, uh, he was. And as time went on, I just kind of looked at him and said, he is what he is. And I kind of feel like that's what Rich Strike is going to end up being for me. He is what he is. He's a good horse. But his lack of speed and his, let's say, solid speed figures, but not overwhelming speed figures... And his need for, I would think, long distances are all going to make him very difficult to bet on at short numbers. And, and, you know, short numbers are going to probably be few and far between for this horse. But Rich Strike is keen ice. That's my conclusion. Keen ice raced 24 times in his career. He won three. He finished second four times. He finished third five times. He has no early pace whatsoever. He has a career best buyer speed figure of 106. Hearing that twice. Rich Strike has already earned a career best buyer of 106. I think that's probably what he is. Keen Ice finished third and fourth in the Breeders' Cup Classic on two occasions. Rich Strike's already finished fourth in a Breeders' Cup Classic. Keen Ice broke his maiden at Churchill Downs in a one-turn mile. As did Rich Strike. The difference is Rich Strike was in a maiden claimer. This horse, Keen Ice, was in a maiden special weight. His only other victories came at a mile and a quarter. In 2017, he won the Suburban at 10 furlongs. Again, Rich Strike's other victory, 10 furlongs, Kentucky Derby. But the real reason that you can draw the parallels between the two, in my eyes anyway, and let me know if you agree or disagree, his claim to fame is winning the Grade 1 Travers in 2015. He defeats American Pharaoh in a race that Pharaoh dueled with Frosted through the interior fractions. He put Frosted away and he got run down late by Keen Ice. Think back to that Kentucky Derby. Epicenter moves a little early. He puts away all the other pace pressure. Zandon's coming up to him. Zandon doesn't quite finish. Here comes Rich Strike. Epicenter plays the American Pharaoh role in this spot. Was Keen Ice lucky to win the Travers or was luck on his side? And the reason I phrase it that way for both this horse and for Rich Strike in the Derby. Every other closer in those two races had the same setup. Every other one. And these are the two horses that won. So you can say that maybe luck was on their side. Certainly luck was on their side. They had advantageous pace scenarios to run at, but as did every other horse that rallied from off of it. Does that mean that they were no good? I guess it's all in the eye of the beholder. To me, they're both good, solid horses. Neither of them are going to be Hall of Famers. Keen Ice won't be. I don't believe Rich Strike will be. But they both hold 
spots in racing history. And I think all you need to know about either of these horses or about, I guess, more importantly, or not more importantly, but bigger picture, how people view results. I always talk about being, don't get so result oriented because then that can throw you completely, you know, in a tailspin. You saw me a few weeks ago post Breeders' Cup. Did Keen Ice and Rich Strike, did they just get lucky? And when you hear someone say that, I think that implies that they don't really believe they're that good. Or was luck on their side? Were these solid enough horses that had a few things break their way on major, major stages and they took advantage and got the job done? And again, solidified their place in history. One defeating the Triple Crown winner and one being the longest shot winner, the second longest shot winner of the Kentucky Derby. It was just something on my mind. And I'm curious to know, what is everyone's opinion on Rich Strike? What is everyone's opinion on where he stacks up in the three-year-old picture? Is he three-year-old champion? Is he a three-year-old finalist? Is he off the board? Does he not even qualify as a finalist? And is my sort of comp with Keen Ice one that makes sense to anybody else other than me and my pea brain? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Now, handicapping. Let's get into week 13 of the National Football League season. Decent weekend this past weekend. We come out ahead on the ledger. Hopefully we continue to build upon that this week coming up. Week 13 in the National Football League is upon us. Uh, two one-and-one weekend last weekend with the picks. A bit of a frustrating one. Th really thought the Sunday night game, despite the fact that it went back and forth, I thought that was a pretty comfy cover. Um, Eagles were up 10 late in the fourth quarter. Jordan Love marches down. They kick the field goal knowing that you need two scores anyway. Uh, ends up being a push. No big deal. The Raiders and Seahawks game was extremely annoying because that was purely Josh Jacobs saying, not here, not now. Um, and he also knocks me out of my longest fantasy football league with my elementary and high school and middle school friends. Knocked out by my best friend. We both score over 140 points and I lose. That's really annoying. Neither here nor there. Uh, but the two wins wore the totals. Uh, under 35 in that Broncos and Panthers game and under 46 in the Texans and Dolphins game. So the past two weeks, 4-3-1 and one, as far as the picks on the pot are concerned. Let's dive into week 13. I have five plays and a future if you're interested in futures. It's a team that I've just sort of, you start to look at some of the different numbers and I think they're uh, a little bit interesting. We'll get to them in a bit, though. Let's start on Thursday night. The Buffalo Bills and my New England Patriots. Uh, the Bills are five-point favorites at Gillette. The total is 44. I have Buffalo winning 27 to 21.4. That's a 5.6-point difference. The 48.3 total goes over the books total right now. You could go over. I don't know. The Thursday games are typically a mess. Maybe this is a, a different instance because both teams played on Thanksgiving and they do have a full week's rest. Um, I'm going to sit back and just watch this one and hope that the Pats can put something together because I, I think it's, I think you lose, you're done. And if you're Buffalo, Buffalo, you probably do need one to get really back on the beam. I know they won on Thanksgiving, but it wasn't in the most, uh, sort of convincing fashion against the Lions. And, you know, the Patriots, it was a, an instance where if you are, 
The AFC at the bottom especially seems a little bit topsy-turvy. But if you are supposed to be one of the seven best teams in the AFC, which I think is a better conference than the NFC is, top to bottom anyway, you're supposed to be able to go into Minnesota and get that done with the way the game played out as well. And they didn't do that. So I'm a little bit disappointed there. We'll find out if they're good enough to, to hang with Buffalo and, and a dinged-up Josh Allen. Uh, I'm not going to be betting on it, though. Again, I've got 27 to 21.4 Buffalo beating New England on Thursday. Tennessee Titans and Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are six-point home favorites. The total is 44.5. I have Philadelphia winning 26.7 to 19.7. That is a seven-point difference, total of 46.4. You could slightly look over there. You could slightly look toward the Eagles covering the six. Uh, Derrick Henry's presence bothers me. For Tennessee, Tennessee usually plays in some of those tighter, kind of slower slogs. I wonder if that could hurt Philadelphia a little bit stylistically. It's a game that I don't want to have any part of. One game that I had considered getting involved in, Washington Commanders, New York Giants. The Giants are two-point home dogs. The Commanders are two-point favorites on the road in New York. The total is 40 and a half. Uh, It could be rainy. It could be a little bit gusty based on the extended forecast. I have this basically as a pick. I have Washington as 0.1 point favorites, winning 19.6 to 19.5. Um, you could play the Giants, getting the points at home. I have that coming in 54% of the time. There's a slight edge there, slight positive EV. Um, you could also play a teaser, which I don't typically recommend. But you move that to New York plus 8. You move the total to 46.5 for the under. That goes to minus 120. I have that coming in 52% of the time. So, you know, it's actually not really truly great value. It's actually a bit of an underlay. But if you're really just inclined to make a play, um, that could be an option for you. I think if you really, really are hell-bent on making a play in the game, I would take the points on the home team. But I understand that that's a little bit of a dicey proposition. The Giants, a bit of the luster has come and gone. The commanders are on a roll here. I don't know that I'm fully buying in the way that some folks are, but you know th- that NFC East is a very good conf- uh, division top to bottom. Thought about the Giants plus two. Going to choose against that. You could even go with the Giants money line, if we're being honest. The other New York team. This is one of the plays. New York Jets at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are three-point home favorites. Total is 46. I have Minnesota winning 22.5 to 21.8. That's a .7-point differential in favor of the Vikings. But with the way those numbers shake out, you could play the Giants plus three, excuse me, the Jets plus three. DraftKings right now, that's at minus 115. I have that happening 60.6% of the time. Translates to odds of minus 154. You know, I don't know if you want to fully buy into Mike White just yet. He looked good against a bad Bears team, but in, in terrible conditions also, for what it's worth, wind and rain. I'm going to be looking more toward the money line because I could see a scenario where the the Jets got their doors blown off or I could see them keeping it close and possibly pulling one out. And I'm more interested in taking the Jets at plus 140 on the money line, which I have happening 48.6% of the time, translates odds of plus 106. So you're getting a pretty pretty fair overlay there. Um, Rather than just hope that they keep it close, knowing full well that for many reasons. I mean, Minnesota, they're not bums. Knowing full well that this could be a game that it's either a blowout in favor of Minnesota or maybe it is close. But if it's close, I think the Jets have a fair chance of winning. 
So that's why I'm going to go with the plus money at plus 140. So one of the plays this week is going to be the Jets on the road to beat the Vikings outright at plus 140. I have that happening 48.6% uh, of the time. Denver Broncos at the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are 8.5-point home favorites. The total is 38. Any game where the Broncos are playing, you're going to have a low total. That's just the way things are going to go from here on out. I have Baltimore winning 25.2 to 13.0. That's a 12.2-point difference. The total of 38.2, spot on. I have no interest in that right there. The numbers say it makes sense to lay the points with the Ravens at home. But I said it last week. I like Baltimore. I think they're good. I think there's plenty to like there. And this will get to the team that I'm actually thinking about making a bit of a future bet on in a bit. But the difference between that team that I was just alluding to and this Ravens team, who I still think all, I think most of the pieces are there. Maybe not every single one of them. Maybe they don't have really the outside weapons necessary to win a Super Bowl or even win an AFC championship. But the problem is they're an inability to close. It's it it's inarguable at this point. You you can't you you can't lie about the fact that they've had so many instances. I think they've been ahead in almost every one of their losses in the fourth quarter. And they they just continue to find ways to lose games at the bitter end. And I said it last week that the Baltimore Jacksonville game, you could play Baltimore minus four, but I think Jacksonville's a little bit plucky, a little bit, you know, frisky. I, you know what? I don't need to get involved in that. And, and sure as shit, that's how it played out. Jacksonville with that crazy run there in the, the final drive. Uh, they come back and get the job done, and they convert the two-point conversion. By the way, Jacksonville next year, I think, I, I maintain it. Jacksonville and Baltimore really aren't too dissimilar because the Jags have had a number of instances this year where they've been ahead in fourth quarter, and they just can't close. Now, the difference is, that's it's exactly what I just said about Baltimore, but Baltimore has won some of these coin flips where they have been close games and they've been able to hang on. Jacksonville hasn't. I, you could easily flip those two records, in my opinion. That's just my view of things. Um, and I guess, actually, for a fun little exercise here, I have Baltimore rated fifth for the power rating, which is considerably higher than Jacksonville, so maybe that pokes a hole in this. I've got Jacksonville 13. League average of 0.57 points, um, and they're at 0.58. I mean, which translates effectively to them starting at one point and Baltimore starting at 11.9. I mean, you know, maybe. I don't think they're that far apart. That's one part of my the way I put my things together is using a power rating along with player model, along with the sports book and a couple of the pieces. But uh, I don't, my my gut tells me that they're not that far apart. Um, but the record says they are, so maybe that's part of it. Anyway, long-winded way of saying in this spot, the numbers say to lay the points with the Ravens. I could see a backdoor cover with the way that they just completely flop at the very end of games. Uh, not that I believe in Denver, but maybe they can come back and get a couple of points, a couple of garbage time points, and cover that 8.5. So it's a game I'm going to stay away from. Uh, another game I'm staying away from is the Browns and the Texans. Uh, I have no way of quantifying Deshaun Watson's presence as the starting quarterback. Uh, and I'm not going to just guess. So punt on that. Jags and Lions. Lions are one-point home favorites. The total is 52. I have them winning 25.1 to 23.7 Detroit over Jacksonville. That's a 1.4-point difference. Uh, so that's pretty much matching up. 
The total of 48.7. You could play the under, but I really don't feel like sweating out a shootout. So it's a pass for me. Another game that's a pass, Packers, Bears. I have no idea the status of either starting quarterback, Fields or Rodgers. So it's a pass. I'm not going to just guess. Uh, Pittsburgh and Atlanta. Atlanta, one and a half point home favorites. Total is 42. I've got Atlanta winning 21.7 to 17.4. That's a 4.4 point difference. Uh, 39.1 is the total. Uh, barring something odd happening tonight in the Indianapolis-Pittsburgh game on Monday, you could be looking at a pretty decent play with Atlanta at minus one and a half. I have that happening 57.3% of the time. That's odds of minus 134 compared to the minus 110 being offered. But I, I think something to remind yourself of, you're not forced to make plays. And these, I think, are two shitty teams. And I don't really feel like making a play um, just guessing on, on bad teams. And, and yeah, Atlanta's got a lot to play for at this point. They're still right in the thick of the NFC South. But I just, I, I've, I watch them and I go, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't know how they're, I don't think, I think it's crazy that they have the record that they do because I think they're pretty bad. But neither here nor there. If you really are compelled to make a play in the game, I would play Atlanta minus one and a half, but I'm going to sit it out. Um, probably the second best game of the weekend, I would say. Dolphins at 49ers. 49ers, three and a half point home favorites. The total is 47. Uh, my projections have this thing bang on. Uh, San Francisco 25.5, Miami 21.6. That's a 3.9 point difference compared to the 3.5 point difference with the book. I have a total of 47.1 compared to the book's 47. It's a pass for me. Be an interesting game to watch, though. Uh, Seattle at the Rams. The Seahawks are five-point road favorites. The total is 40.5. I have them winning 22.1 to 15.3. That's a 6.8-point difference. Total of 37.3. You could play Seattle minus five on the road. I just don't think there's enough value there. You could look at the under 40.5, especially given the injury situation with the Rams. Again, I just don't really feel compelled to make a play. I don't think there's enough of an edge either way, so it's a pass. Here's the big one. Kansas City Chiefs and Cincinnati Bengals. The Chiefs are two and a half point road favorites. The total is 52. I have a final projection of 28.4 to 25.5 in favor of Cincinnati. So I have Cincinnati as a 2.9 point favorite. They are a 2.5 point road do- uh, home dog. The total of 53.9. It's more than the 52 the book is offering right now. Uh, I don't see any real edge there. But the the real, this is kind of the crux of everything. You look for those overlays. You look for areas that you believe you've got an edge. And this is one where I'll go down with the ship. I have Cincinnati being a better team right now than Kansas City. Maybe not in the power ratings. Power ratings, I think they're like separated by three. Uh, no, separated by two. And in terms of actual points, how does that boil down to? 1.2 point difference between the Chiefs and the Bengals. Uh, the Chiefs, you look at some of their wins. They have pulled some stuff out of their rear end multiple times this year. They've been involved in close games. And if the Rams were in better health and in better shape, and let's just call it spade to spade, a better team, uh, that game on Sunday afternoon is probably a lot closer. Because they, Kansas City was just kind of sloppy. They didn't really put put the game away until late in the fourth quarter. Now they're going to take on a Cincinnati team that I think that I think Cincinnati is on the upward trajectory as opposed to some of these other teams, which may be trending downward. You're going to get Jamar Chase back. I don't know if it'll be this week or, or in the future, uh, but I like Cincinnati plus two and a half. Take the points at minus 110. I have them covering that 63.9% of the time. Translates to odds of minus 177, so that's certainly a, a smash play. Cincinnati money line. 
plus 120. I have them winning outright 57.1% of the time. Translates to odds of minus 133. That's a smash spot. And then the tease from earlier, I'm going to bet the Bengals to win the AFC. They're 10 to 1 right now. You look at some of these other teams that are involved. Buffalo. Buffalo, if they are perfectly healthy, I think they're the best team. But Josh Allen's looked a little bit shaky lately. And they've got to figure out a way to win the East. Miami's right there. The Jets are right there. If they lose Thursday to New England, all of a sudden, that whole division is, who knows how it's going to shake out. And I think Buffalo not having home field is a major difference than them having to go on the road. I know that's stating the obvious, but for a team like the Bills, I I just don't love the way, th- I think they're still the team to beat, arguably, but I just don't love them as a prohibitive favorite. And I guess the Chiefs now technically are the favorite, but I just made my case with Kansas City. I mean, they've had their moments where, yeah, they keep winning games, and maybe they deserve credit for that. They certainly deserve credit for it. But I don't know that I look at them and say they're absolutely slam dunk, pencil them in, let's move on. The Bengals team, as long as that offensive line can stand up in front of Burrow, give him some time, you're gonna ha- you have all the weapons you need outside. They've found some sort of a run game. I mean, Samaji P. Ryan's name is popping up left and right, ripping off big runs. The defense is fine, especially the secondary, fine, good enough. You know, they're probably going to need to win track meets. That's what this team is kind of built on. They're built on high-powered offense. And they played in the Super Bowl last year. I think I think Cincinnati, who I thought at the beginning of the season was broken. I was te- I, My college buddies texting back and forth. I'm like, they suck. They, they just don't have it. I don't know what's wrong. Those first probably four or five weeks of the season. And then it slowly started coming together. I think they're on the upswing, not the downswing. I've got a lot going in with Cincinnati this week and going forward. Uh, the Chargers and the Raiders. Chargers are two-point road favorites. Total is 51. I have this game, 22.5 to 22.5. It's a pick. No, no say one way or the other. Uh, but from a play standpoint, I have a projection of 45 for a total, which is six points below the 51 being offered right now. This may be a bit of a sweaty one. But I have under 51 coming in 61.6% of the time. Excuse me, 63.6% of the time. Odds of minus 175 compared to minus 110. That's going to be a play for me. Under 51 in the Chargers-Raiders game. Sunday night, the Colts and the Cowboys. This one could change a little bit depending on what happens on Monday. But truth be told, barring a barring an injury to Jonathan Thomas, or Jonathan Thomas, Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, whether it's Matt Ryan or, or Sam Ellinger or whomever. I mean, I don't think it really makes a big difference for the Colts. And the Cowboys, you know, they're going to be coming into this. The Colts are going to be on short rest. The Cowboys are going to be coming in on 10 days. And I guess call it 10 plus because it's going to be Thursday midday to Sunday night. I have Dallas winning 28.9 to 14.1. That's a 14.8 point difference. Uh, The total of 43 compared to the 44 being offered right now. No real edge there, but I, I'm going to be betting Dallas minus nine. I know it's a big number, but I, I think one of the things, too, though, that, you know, last week I would said it, and I've said it to a few different people now, betting on football I think is just so volatile. The The margins are so slim, and I know some of my projections, maybe they're a little bit bullish. But we've got enough of a sample here, and I think some of it is still name recognition of why certain teams are, you know, favored in certain instances and things like that. But 
But on paper, there's, there's really not much to suggest that Indianapolis should be able to keep it close with Dallas. And I'm not fully buying into the Cowboys yet. I know some people are absolutely slobbering all over them, saying that they are you know, a, a lock to get to the conference championship. Maybe they are. But I'd like to see Dak do it really on a big stage, which he hasn't proven he really truly can yet. But neither here nor there. A Sunday night game at home against Indianapolis when you need to keep winning because that NFC East keeps winning. I think the Cowboys are going to cover that number, and I think they do it relatively comfortably. So lay the nine points with the Cowboys while you can because especially if somebody gets hurt from the Colts, somebody important on, on Monday night, that number's only going to get bigger, in my opinion. I'd be some, very surprised if it didn't. So I'm going to lay the nine with Dallas. And then on Monday, a game that I could not care less about. Although it's an important game. New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs are three and a half point home favorites. The total is 40. I have Tampa Bay winning 20.1 to 17.0. That's a 3.1 point difference. Total of 37.1. You could go under. I just don't trust either teams. I think they're both bad. Um, I'm, I'm done with the whole Tampa. Tampa keeps getting credit for really doing nothing. They have names on their team. They, they, don't, they have not done anything on the field to suggest that they're a good team. Um... I just, I, I don't see it. I have Tampa rated 18th. Purely from a power rating standpoint. I just, I just don't see it. But, that's just my opinion. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter. At Bernier underscore Matt to recap the five plays for this week. Jets at Vikings. Jets money line plus 140. Chiefs at Bengals. Bengals plus 2.5 at minus 110. Bengals money line at plus 120. Chargers at Raiders under 51 at minus 110. Colts at Cowboys. Cowboys minus 9 at minus 110. And if you're interested in futures, I'm going to be betting the Bengals to win the American Football Conference at odds of 10 to 1. I guess you could also look at Super Bowl. They're, they're 18 to 1. But I, maybe. I don't know. I got to think about that one. I will be betting 10 to 1, though, for the AFC. Uh, again, thoughts, feelings, anything. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Um, until next week's show, this has been episode 141, because I realized I jacked it up badly last week. Episode 141 of the pod. However, you listen, thank you for doing so. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. Uh, you can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. I will be back. Monday of next week. Talk more NFL, talk more horses, talk more anything. And if you have things that you want to hear, again, you know the spots to let your opinion be known. That's going to do it. Till next week's show. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 141 of the Matt Bernier Show.